Hi guys, happy Sunday morning. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and that wherever you are, wherever you were, whoever you were with, whatever you ate, that you had a sense of gratitude. It's been crazy in my house because as careful as we have been through this pandemic, um, we as a family have COVID and two of my family members have been very sick and um, my oldest daughter actually had to go into the ER and then the hospital yesterday for some follow-up labs. Um, so yes, just a reminder of the severity our struggle, our culture is, is facing right now. And I know a lot of you have fears and anxieties about health and um, I'm with you in that. And everything is kind of on that side of the wall right now. This is my first time not to wear a mask in my house. So the sickness is that way, yeah. But even in the midst of very difficult days, I have seen the invisible God made visible through people who have cared about me. And you guys are some of those people. So thank you. We left off in Exodus talking about God's plan to rescue and deliver his people who were struggling under the harsh labor and oppressive treatment in Egypt. So Moses has been told by God that Moses will go to Pharaoh and be God's mouthpiece. Of course, Moses didn't want to do it. And so God said that Aaron could be Moses' mouthpiece, who is God's mouthpiece. So we all following that? So at the very end of chapter four, Moses meets up with Aaron and tells him everything that God has said. And then Aaron and Moses go and they tell the Israelites and the elders Everything that God has said, that God has heard, that God cares, and that God is going to come down and rescue. So, at the very end of chapter 4, I just want to read this for you. And as they spoke all the words which God had spoken to Moses, and then Moses performed this, the signs in sight of the people, the people believed. And when they heard that God was concerned about them, and that God had seen their suffering, they bowed low and they worshipped. Kind of one of those moments where they've been on a desert island for goodness knows how long and given up hope that they would be rescued or um, in some way suddenly they were seen or heard or a radio call went through or an SOS sound signal was received, you know, and so they have this moment of just pure, I can't believe this is happening. And then Moses goes to talk to Pharaoh, and it feels like things are going to get worse before they get better. At the beginning of chapter 5, after talking with the Israelites, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Here's what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord's that I should obey God's voice and let Israel go? I don't know your God. And besides, I'm not going to let them go. Then Moses and Aaron said, But the God of the Hebrews has met with us, so please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And the king of Aaron said, The king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you trying to keep the people from their work? Get back to your own work. The people of the land are now many, and you are trying to make them quit their jobs. And so Pharaoh ordered for the workload to increase, wanted the same amount of bricks to be made 
but told now the Egyptian taskmasters that the Hebrews were not allowed to have straw provided for them. And this is what they did. They made bricks out of straw. They had a certain number that they had to make every single day. If they didn't meet the quota, then they were in trouble, which could mean that they were beaten or that food was kept from them. So now the quota has remained the same, but no straw. So Pharaoh decrees that the Hebrews, if they are going to make these bricks, are going to have to go get the straw themselves. You can only imagine how this went over as the Hebrews are being beaten and they're not meeting their quotas because they're trying to find straw wherever they can. And what Pharaoh keeps saying through chapter 5 is, we're doing this because you are lazy, very, very lazy, because you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So now go and work but you will be given no straw and you must deliver the quota of bricks. It's no surprise that at the end of chapter five, the Israelite foremen are waiting for Moses and Aaron. I could just see them standing there like, you two, over here now. So verse 21 of chapter five says that when the Israelites who had been uh, oppressed even further said to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord look upon you and judge you for you have made us stink in Pharaoh's eyes, and in all these people's sight, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So the oppression has gotten worse. It's amazing and incredible that God has seen and paid attention and come down to rescue. And so the initial Israelite reaction was, yes, we are finally going to be redeemed and rescued. And then Moses talks to Pharaoh, and it doesn't get better. It seems to get worse. So as Moses is hearing this, Moses then turns around to God and says, why have you brought harm to this people? So he jumps on the, yeah, we're all kind of mad at God. He's on that wagon now. Why did you even send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, Pharaoh has done harm to this people. And you haven't delivered this people at all like you said you would. I don't know if it's just the normal reaction to when we feel cornered to kind of lash out, but it is surprising to me that there's not this angered response where God can't believe the audacity. Instead, God seems to hold space for this angered response. And instead of saying, you're one to talk, what God says in chapter six, after he has been accused by the Israelites and by Moses, the Lord says to Moses, now wait and see what I am going to do. Here is what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, he's going to let them go. In fact, he's going to drive them out of Egypt. And God spoke further and said, I am the Lord. I have appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the cries of the sons and daughters of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. So say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great love, and then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the God who brought you out from slavery of the Egyptians. 
and then I will bring you the land that I promised your ancestors that I would give you. So Moses says, okay, this is an encouraging word, and says these exact things to the sons and daughters of Israel. In verse 9 of chapter 6 says this, But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirits and their cruel slavery. God has just promised one more time to bring Israel out of slavery, to bring them out of Egypt, to deliver them, to redeem them. God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I am going to bring you not only out of slavery, but into a land of freedom, a land that I promised your ancestors that not even they got to receive as a gift. It's the same language. It's a little more detailed and a little more bold and clear than what they were told before Moses talked to Pharaoh. And yet what they did when they initially heard was to bow down and worship. And when it said, as their slavery has an increase, has increased, they're not worshiping. In fact, they can't even hear it because of their broken spirits and their harsh and cruel oppression. That completely makes sense to me. This word that seemed easier to hear, maybe when I initially heard it, that there is hope, that there is a way out of addiction, that my relationships won't be like this forever, that I won't always have to battle shame in this way, that I will learn to practice forgiveness, that I won't always feel this way. Um, I've had so many of those moments, and maybe you have as well, where you have a day when you feel really hopeful that things can be different tomorrow than they have been. Um, some of those situations you might have experienced where you forget what it's like to feel normal, and and maybe one day you will. And and there's those days where where hope just kind of seems to spring up, and it's easier to grasp. And then when things continue to be a struggle, or when they seem to get worse, when I decide I want change and yet I still manage to do the same old things that keep tripping me up, or I decide I'm going to learn how to communicate better, or I'm not going to allow myself to be treated that way, or I'm going to practice patience, or stop lying, or stop drinking, or stop whatever is holding me back from the life I want, and then I keep doing the same things over and over and over. That's what a broken spirit is. A broken spirit is when I am so aware of the failures and the moments of rejection and the difficulties in relationships and the losses. And I'm so familiar with the depression and the anxiety and just misusing my time or feeling hopeless. When I'm so used to those things that I began to assume things are not going to be different. They might be different for somebody else, but I'm never going to see freedom in the area of life that I've never had it before. Broken spirits happen when I stop believing that 
there's a different ending to my story. It's we trick ourselves and, and might even call it a holy way of thinking to say that I'm just practicing acceptance when really I think sometimes it's because I've stopped believing that the limitless God is also the God who is for me. Um, or maybe I think that God's compassion does not extend to this area of my life or um, I don't know that I just have to cut my losses because this is as good as it gets, right? Broken spirits can be in any area from our financial difficulties to our struggles with parenting to regrets or feelings of being criticized or even being the one who criticizes someone else. Things that I can't shake from my mind just things that I would love to change and don't know how they ever will. It's normal for us not to have a vision of how things change. The problem is when that begins to affect my hope and how I view God and um, God's ability to be for me and to be present and to intervene in my world. And that's where the Israelites were. Hope was easier when they thought that it would result in immediate action and change. When they heard that God had paid attention and that God had come down to rescue, that meant to them that they would be packing their bags that night because the next day they were leaving. And somehow, God has a broader vision than just bringing them out of Egypt. I think we get a bit of insight onto in the into the bigger vision that God has just in the way that God responds with their lack of belief and their unwillingness to listen. Because even after they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and cruel oppression, God keeps going and says to Moses, go again and tell Pharaoh to let the sons and daughters of Israel go out of his land. But Moses says to the Lord, look, the sons and daughters of Israel have not listened to me. How then is Pharaoh going to listen to me? It's easy to go back to that math or logic of Egypt. The logic of Egypt says that what Pharaoh says is the rule. And if Pharaoh says that the people can't go, then they can't. And they've got this entire way of seeing their culture that's locked in on Egyptian culture. In fact, it is absolutely crazy to me that there is this ridiculous standard set out for them that they are supposed to build and make the same amount of bricks with no straw. It's literally an impossible task. And yet instead of saying, hey, this task is impossible, they're mad at God because Pharaoh imposed an impossible task on them. What does that say? That basically says that instead of blaming Pharaoh, they're upset at God's redemptive intervention because they're so used to Pharaoh having the say. If Pharaoh is unhappy with this, it's because somebody upset the system and not in a good way. And they've gotten so used to the voice of Pharaoh that what Pharaoh says goes. And God's voice is an interruption to that. So it's not just about Israel 
being freed from Egypt so that they don't have to make bricks anymore. It's also about getting to know who they are as a people. It's not just that God wants them to have their own land, but God also wants them to know who God is. If it was just about getting them out of Egypt, then that is something that could have happened overnight. But because there was a longer term vision, because God knew that if they were just brought out of Egypt and yet their mindset hadn't changed, that they would just be enslaved to somebody else or something else. And so here they are experiencing the words that God had spoken and yet their reality, which didn't at all seem to match up. The Hebrews are being threatened and yet they still tried to accomplish Pharaoh's goal. They believed Pharaoh, even though God was speaking words of hope. They tried as hard as they could to meet Pharaoh's impossible demand and didn't like that God was trying to intervene because they believed it made their slavery worse. There's so much that's happening behind closed doors. And what happens, our hope and our broken spirit are especially affected when we put our eyes on what we see God doing. If I'm just looking to what I can see, then it's no wonder that I become very discouraged and begin to question whether or not God is actually for me. This is what's happening with the Israelites. They're questioning whether or not God actually spoke freedom. They're questioning whether God actually does care or was concerned or did even hear their cries. Does God even, does it even matter that God is here? Not only did God even actually care and pay attention to our suffering, but what's the difference? Because it seems like things are getting worse and not getting better. So what does it even matter? So God has this goal, not just of breaking these chains that have the label of Egyptian and slave, but also breaking chains in a deeper way by bringing this people not only out of Egypt, but bringing them to himself. And we know that because God says, you are to tell them, I am. It's all in the name. So God tells them who God is, and then God shows God's power. Chapter 6, God spoke further and said, I am the Lord, and I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So the very first time that God is speaking the holy name of God is to these oppressed people who are stuck in slavery in a foreign country. They are the first ones that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who knew God as God Almighty, had not heard this name, I am, had not, had not encountered a God who personally gave his name to these people. And this is a way, you know, names are different for us, but names as we're looking in these ancient Near Eastern cultures have so much weight. Our names do not necessarily define us. It just may be something that we're called. But God's name is who God is. And by saying I'm giving my name, God is saying I'm giving myself fully. This means the limitless power. This means the steadfast love. This means the unconditional compassion and forgiveness. This means the patience and the long suffering and 
the the strength and the courage, all that God is, God is giving to the people Israel. Not only that, but God gives God's self, all that God is. And as a part of that says, and you are mine, I am yours. I am allowing you to define yourself by all that I am. And that's huge. These people might have known the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as their ancestors' God, but they did not know God as their personal advocate and the one who would personally fight and personally rescue them, who would, in in a personal way, express compassion and attention and redeem them. So that is the way that God responds to the broken spirit, not by demanding that they pull themselves together and believe if they want to be rescued, but it's as if God shepherds them to a place where they can believe. Would Israel have crossed the Reed Sea the day after Moses showed up? I don't know. I don't think they were ready to. I don't know that they had the faith feet to do so. I think what they needed was for God to show them who God was, who it was that they were going to be following, because it wasn't just about some power shot rescue move. It was also about going through the wilderness and becoming the people that they already were. And for that, they needed to know who this God was. I don't know if you've ever had a situation in which it's not so much about the promise as much as the person who promised it. Because there's lots of people who can tell us these great things, you know. I mean, I got a call the other day and they were like, you have won a trip to Hawaii, yay! But then I'm thinking, that's like the best promise ever today. I'm sure there's other better ones, but good for you guys. But I had to think about who was it who was offering that because that's what makes the difference. It's not so much how great the promise is, is back it up with who you are. Okay. And so the reason that this amazing promise of deliverance was so powerful to Israel is because of who was making the promise. And the reason that they broke so quickly is they hadn't yet gotten to know spent time with and really seen the God who was promising deliverance. So that's possibly how God responds to our broken spirits. Not with judgment, not in demanding that we pull ourselves together and realize that God can bring us out of addiction. God can do anything. God can heal our marriages. God can do anything. But understanding that in that place of a broken spirit, in the place where it's hard for us to have hope, that is the very place that God will show us who God is in all God's power and love and might and faith. That that is the moment in which we realize it's not just about that area of our life being healed. That God isn't just about rescuing us, but God is about making us well and making us who we were meant to be. God carries out the plan, continues right where God left off and says, okay, I hear this and this is what I want you to say to the people. But there's no stop in it. Again, acknowledges that it's time for Moses to go back to Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron were given the heads up. Hey, listen, you're going to go to Pharaoh and he's going to say no. So apparently that wasn't a deal breaker in the whole plan. It was just much bigger than Moses or Aaron or the Israelites ever could have understood. And so think about where you are right now, that God is moving forward this plan, with this plan. And we might not be able to imagine in our own lives a world in which things don't um, 
change. Things don't get better. Things don't turn out. But in that place, God shares his name with us. The name I am. The name that extends covenant. The name that says, I am for you. I am your God. You are my people. And that changes everything. Broken spirits are not fixed just by changing clothes. Broken spirits are fixed as we are healed by the one who calls us. God does not just want to shift our circumstances, but God wants us to be whole and healthy people who live as people who belong to the God who loves. So in light of the place in which you find yourself today, whether it's waiting for rescue or having such a broken spirit and so much exhaustion that it's hard to imagine things being better. I want you to think about the beauty in this story that God is not only not surprised by our resistance or lack of hope, but is also willing to take responsibility to helping us get to a place where we can believe that God is not demanding us to do something we're not capable of, but instead will shepherd us to a place where we can believe and where we can deepen our trust. And as we wait for God to act, a lot of times we'll be reminded of ways God has acted in the past, that this God who is asking us to trust is not an unfamiliar face, but a God who has acted on our behalf before who has shown up when we least expected it or when we most needed it, that God has in fact been with us and been present to us in the past. So in this place of waiting, we are invited into deeper knowledge of who God is, that God has acted and will act and all of these things move us away from the awful patterns of slavery and the places in which we feel we're stuck and they set us up to be freed and loved by God. So the question is, how will you respond in this place? Are you going to focus on your circumstances? Are you going to allow defeat to overtake you? Or will you get to know God in the space of being uncomfortable and not sure when deliverance will happen? Because deeper faith is less concerned about how the promises are going to be carried out and more concerned with who it is that's promising. Deeper faith means that we look not only to what we see God doing, but who God is. So in your time of waiting, in times of delayed deliverance, don't lose hope, as tempting as it may be, because you've come to know the covenantal God who is for you and faithful to God's promises. Grace and peace to you this week as we wait together.